0: If all the children in the world, like not having electricity, they can get 24 hours electricity, they can study. And, and I feel that since coming from India, that's also given me impression that if, or any other developing country, if you are able to educate yourself, you can, you know, lift yourself up to the ladder, right? You can improve the society, not only for yourself, but your family, but also overall, you can impact it if just right education is provided.
1: Hello everyone, welcome uh, to the YGT podcast. Um, This is Wendy Shi, I'm your host today, and I'm super delighted that you have decided to tune in to the second episode of the YGT podcast. The YGT podcast is a production of YGT Young Green Tech, an international network that brings together young entrepreneurs who work towards a more sustainable future through technological innovations or creative business models. Here at YGT, it's been our great privilege to get to know these young entrepreneurs in depth, to hear them articulate their ambitions and aspirations, and to understand what drives their creativity, tenaciousness, and achievement. We decided to share YGT's amazing stories with you. Yes, you can learn about their stories through the articles on our WeChat or LinkedIn platform. But here at YGD podcast, we got to meet these young entrepreneurs in person and we got to listen to their stories told by them. And let me tell you, behind those impressive stories were some pretty amazing human beings. So here on the show, we are going to ask them hard questions to get to the bottom of what drives them. We want to know, for example, were they ever confused like the rest of us were, and how did they deal with failures and disappointments, all those little nuggets of difficulties that life throws at all of us. So without uh, no further ado, let me introduce our guest today, Govinda. Govinda, do you want to say hi to all of us?
0: Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to meet you all. Good morning from Switzerland.
1: Good morning, welcome. So Govinda is a serial entrepreneur. His latest startup, Smart Helio, is an internet of things and deep data analytics company that helps the solar industry increase solar performance. Govinda is also on the Forbes 30 under 30 list for his work in the energy demand. He is also the YGT 2020 entrepreneur of the year. Is it really cold there?
0: It is cold. So just outside it snowed a lot a couple of days back and a lot of snow is there. So yeah, it is cold.
1: <laughs> That's great. Actually, do you enjoy working from home?
0: Uh yes. For me, it was a good thing because recently I had a child. So it was good to, you know, take care of the child and work also. And also in somehow I feel that in this new era of work, work from home can be can be well adapted. But I do agree that we should not extend it forever. Like a good balance between work from home and work from office should be there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, say hi to your baby, Jian. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he just went to <laughs> his play school, so
1: yeah. <laughs> OK. <laughs> That's really cool. What you do at your job, Govinda? Uh, correct, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did three years of research in the sustainable area in EPF, Lausanne in Switzerland after earning a Master in Sustainable Technology in Sweden and uh, you focused or you founded LED Safari in 2017 uh, which is a edutech startup based in Switzerland that aims at assimilating clean energy and sustainable innovation education through a unique science and design training program centered on creating a solar LED lamp So that's quite an impressive resume. So what were you like a kid? What led you to earn a master's degree outside of India? And how come you found your first startup in Switzerland?
0: Okay, so I'm, uh, I'm a really real engineer. So when I was a child, I never had toys because whenever I used to get toys, I used to break it and open it so then my family my mom decided that yeah it doesn't make sense to give him some expensive toys so then they were just giving me some useless you know some some vessels around the house so so i think that curiosity was always there uh my father is also uh engineer so i always saw him you know opening things fixing thing fixing bulb fixing something in house so that's also excited me so that was always been there i was good at maths and physics yes. more physics i'll say because i just really liked how things work i really wanted to understand how things work and that led me to renewable energy uh, because it just during when when i was in bachelor back in 2005 uh, there's a lot of hype was going on around clean energy and climate change it just, just started i will i will say it was good good enough and that kind of excited me saying that ah clean energy is cool because then you can have electricity at your own place you don't have to depend on other people you know grid to give you electricity and that's how the journey started. Um, I was uh, graduating in India that time. And then I realized that Europe is a good place to actually learn about renewable energy uh, because Europe has been doing very well. The research is pretty good here. And and also the societies overall, I felt that it's much more inclined towards clean energy compared to other societies in the world. It's, it's relative, it's been doing good, but especially in Europe is much uh, far ahead. So that's how I decided master's and then from there, you just, you know, you get exposure to different, different elements. So during my master's in Stockholm and Netherlands, I was exposed to the business aspects and renewable energy. And it is true that whatever problem you're solving, it has to come through, a. most of the time it has to come through a business angle because it ultimately has to go and serve society, but you have to go through that cycle. So thanks to my master's program, we had some courses on business that helped me to start thinking about business also with the problem that I'm solving. And yeah, uh, then um, after that, I had a PhD position in EPFL to work further on sustainable energy. I, I dropped out of PhD because I felt that, okay, that's not leading me anywhere. And I started my first startup in education and second startup on IoT. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a long journey, um, but you must be very smart. I uh, think since you earned kind of an engineer degree in your bachelor, and I think like it's really a smart decision as well for you to study clean energy in Europe, because it's I think it's uh, where like a lot of people care about climate change and uh, carbon energy, and also the United Nations they are promoting like SDGs and also a lot of things, um, starting from Europe. So it's a really smart decision. Um,
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. So speaking to your experience in funding in the developing LED safari, um, I know you went from village to village uh, in Africa and India to provide trainings on solar energy to kids and the teenagers. But can you work us through what exactly you did in those countries?
0: Right. So, um, so I grew up in India uh, where we did not have 24 hours electricity. So for me, it was very usual not to have electricity. So I was studying under, you know, candles or lamps sometime when electricity is off. And so it was OK. But when I came to uh, Europe, you just realize the magic that, oh, there's 24 hours. You just, you know, click and then you get electricity anytime, time a day. And that amazed me. And I that was made me realize, like, oh, damn, like if if all the children in the world, like not having electricity, they can get 24 hours electricity. They can study. And and I feel that since coming from India, that's also give me impression that if or any other developing country, if you are able to educate yourself, you can, you know, lift yourself up to the ladder, right? You can improve the society, not only for yourself, but your family, but also overall, you can impact it if just right education is provided. Also, like I saw in the market that a lot of people are selling solar lamps to study. But it's just a lamp, it's just a device, and they just use it. But there was nothing about if the lamps break, what happens? Are people able to fix it or not? All those things. And then I realized that, okay, let's make this whole process of, you know, solar lamp or educational process where children can make a lamp. So they learn, they become, feels like a little ingenious themselves. And then they make a lamp themselves, and then they study at night under it. So they feel more empowered on that side so that was the thinking process you know, actually i started from my own village in india uh, back in 2010 2011 i did a small you know exercise on this and then uh, you know maturing the technology also because for me it was not just making a lamp it was more like can uh, any child can make a lamp it was really different and it's like technology you know you are using batteries you're using switches solar it's, it's it's really real things so i really wanted to make something easy and simple and fun That took time. That took like three, four years. And back in 2014, we went to Africa again. Uh, No, Africa first time I went in 2013 and 14 two times. And then, you know, we were just carrying those bags of solar panels, uh, LEDs, batteries and all going one village to another village uh, with the help of NGOs. So we collaborated with some NGOs and uh, we used to do a, a one day session with children's in the village. And then, you know, 50, 60 children's will come and they'll just sit in a under a tree or let's say in a school and then we'll start step by step teaching them like how to make a lamp so that was really fun because at the end you really feel the children are so curious like I really felt my reflection that I was so curious. I just wanted to know everything so they were just curious they just wanted to learn more and that also made us excited more about it because you really see that ah things are working well there was this one unique case came in Rwanda. So we did in East Africa, in, in Rwanda, the, the actually the parents were not sending children to school. The problem is that parents felt that school is useless. They're not teaching my child anything new, but I can use my child to work with me in the field. Okay. So to earn something, because yeah, it's it's a society where everyone has to work for their living. And apparently when the school introduced this LAMP program, the parents were so happy to send their children to the school because they knew that the child will get a lamp, which he made it and then the lamp can be used in the home. And if the lamp becomes you know, faulty or something, my child can fix it. So they really saw the short term impact of the education to the children. And suddenly that there was a increase in the uh, you know, parents sending to the school and they felt really happy about the school. So these were this one impact story. We have a lot of impact stories which made us really uh, push this uh, campaign more and more aggressively. So now we have around 100,000 children who have gone through our program in around more than 50 countries around the world. And and it's keep growing. It's keep growing every time. Yeah. COVID has really slowed down everything because uh, we are not able to send the kids. We, the school, kids were not going to the school and all this stuff. But I'm really hopeful, like, uh, again, this year, it should pick up our, um, this exercise. Yeah,
1: Yeah, you said, like, it's, Prior to like twenty fourteen, so have you ever followed up with those kids?
0: Yes, yes. So we cannot follow all hundred thousand children, but there are still uh, we were in touch with some children, and uh, many of them took engineering as the subject or science as the subject to go to colleges. So that was really cool to see. And then they keep sending me some message that yeah, I have found a job in solar company now. I work this and this. I do this. So yeah, we do follow up uh, with some children's and stories are amazing.
1: Yeah, that's really amazing. Because I heard from your previous uh, stories that some of the kids um, start to be like solar engineer for their community. um, Yes. And some of them become teachers and that's really amazing and that's really impactful especially for those countries uh, in Africa where they have to do a living for themselves
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah
1: so it seems like you're really a global citizen so any stories you want to share with us about your international ex- experience in so many countries and areas uh, um
0: i think like i like traveling uh also uh my 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 partner and now became my wife she also likes traveling so that's good i think what i like about all these because generally when we travel we really travel to rural areas most of the time because that's where the need of our technology is and what we have done is in our vacation also we take some time off to really go and teach because it just whenever we're going like last time we went to uh, Mexico and then we brought like you know 50 kids with us on our holidays and we went to the children's in some village to teach what I realized that everywhere uh, <laughs> i really like two things one is the food is amazing everywhere that i really like to try out new food uh, especially when you go to rural areas you really try get the real taste you know the, the origin of the food there so that's good and the second is the children's are as curious everywhere like whether it's in mexico whether it's in in in, in rwanda or kenya whether it's in india or philippines it's it's the same and it's amazing like how they're so happy with when they create a lamp themselves, they when they put the you know bulb and bulb little, oh wow 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 it, it worked I did it and they run around with the lamp to show to people and they are the small children, so I think this is uh, something I really like um, about uh, everywhere.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing because. I remember that when I was small, like even though I just, just do a successful like circuit and just light lighten the lamp, I would be really have a sense of achievement. And I cannot imagine like how those children. I could I about could those. totally
0: understand that,
1: yeah. yeah. When you from India and go to Switzerland or Sweden um for a master, any culture shock or any culture shock in how people think about climate change. Yes,
0: um I think like Some of the countries are still developing um, and they are going to a phase where they have to satisfy certain need of the society first, like, you know, like healthcare, education, shelters, food, all those things. So I still believe that since the climate change is a very long term thing, it's not very easy for developing country people to understand that fast because they're still busy with solving their own problems. You know, if they don't work, they don't know next day, will I get food or not? Well, I'm just exaggerating the fact, but, you know, not even next day, maybe six months they will get food. So I think the priorities are a bit different uh, in 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 developing like West, uh, Western world and, and, and developing countries. In Europe, people are there. Even if you're jobless, the society will give you something. You have a security. You're not going to die hungry. Putting very bluntly these things, but that's how it is. So it's easier to start thinking about long-term things. And that's why I think I feel the fundamental difference between developing and Western world. In developing countries, has started now because more and more because of people are getting more educated. There's more internet everywhere. People have access to information. They realize that, ah, this year I did not have good rain. It could be due to climate change. So it has started coming up, but, but still if you see the movement has not yet come because still countries are still putting a lot of coal plants. You know, still these countries are dependent on fossil fuels. However, I do believe that uh, it's very unfair to ask this country to say that, hey, you go solar because solar is good, but that means that these countries have to adopt to a little bit more expensive technology. And then again, uh, it might hamper their growth. I do believe that they can do better, of course, but if you see in the top sense, that's what the politician thinks in these countries, like, hey, you burned your coal for last 50 years and you develop yourself and now you're telling us to do, Why don't you do first something or give us technology? So also the problem is the Western world, they don't want to share the technology very well. They don't want to help other countries. So there's this political problem and there's also this societal problem. That's what I have seen. Now, from my own experience in the cultural shock was great because when I was in in Germany, and it was really strange that whenever I used to come out of the street, people will just wish you Guten Tag or something they will say to you. You know, it's good morning, they will say. And I was like, yeah, I don't know this dude. Like, why he said good morning to me? Like, I, I it's so weird. And then people will smile at you also sometime. And that's loud fishy because in India, if someone is smiling at you, like, hmm, that's not good. I don't know. I don't trust this guy, you know? And, and yeah, I'm, since I'm from Delhi, it's a big city. People really bit more harsh towards each other. They are very busy. So that was nice that there is a mutual respect. Second thing what I liked is um, uh, respect for the jobs. So either you're a cleaner, or you're a CEO of a company, it's very high chances that you might end up eating in a same restaurant, you know, taking same burger and whatever. So that's Europe, like very equal kind of thing. So that really impressed me that uh, there's no job discrimination happening and the uh, third thing was very funny so uh, I was in Sweden um, and Swedish people are a little bit more cold you know like they don't talk to each other and, and I didn't know I come from a country it's very talkative like I just talk to anyone like yeah I need to talk I'm a social animal uh, so in the tr- in the metros I always imagined that whenever I used to sit the guy will won't sit next to me but he will go somewhere else to sit and I'm like hmm, that's a bit weird why they're doing it are they bad towards me and then I realized that in Sweden, you always maintain one or two hand of distance from each other anyway. So it's not just me, it's just that whole distance thing is so normal that, oh, I should not disturb the other guy. So uh, yeah, these were the funny incidences like I had and it took me time to think. And But also I feel very happy that I have gone through this experience.
1: Yeah, social distancing in Switzerland and Sweden. <laughs>
0: All the time, right? All the time they had. All the time, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's good for the COVID. <laughs> and I can kind of sense the culture shock thing because I'm from China and I um, live in American. This is my fourth year, and mm-hmm. I experienced a lot of culture shock. And some of them are kind of the same as you. For example, when I was hiking around Malibu during the weekend. All the people will say good morning to me and i was like why you say good morning to me i don't know you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, i know you just founded another startup that provides solar panel analytics products do you plan on extending the educational
0: element yeah, exactly. So uh, I won't say that it's two different companies. It's on the overall vision part is the same. For me, the whole idea is that how I can accelerate the acceptance of renewable energy in our society. So we are doing renewables. That's great. Clean tech is coming, but can I make it faster? Because climate change is going faster than what we are doing. This one way is education, where you can actually tell people about it, that these are good things. You should have it, right? So you need to educate it. So that's a find angle. But other angle is can I make these devices more efficient so if these devices are more efficient it means they're generating more energy per day it means the cost is low so 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 both are things clubs together very well Uh, so in the vision statement that works well for me now the other part is that smart helio was started with one fundamental problem that still in renewable energy especially in solar you just know that solar is working, not working, but you don't know why it's not working. And can I do something to fix it? So the why part was missing in the whole technology side. The people felt that, OK, I'm going to put this blue stuff on my roof and it will work. But that's not true. It's supposed to work, but you have to still maintain it. And since it's in the roof, you cannot go always and check, hey, what's going on? Like It's not like our you know washing machine or our dishwasher that I can just check off. If something is clogged, oh, I need to clean it because it's on the top of the roof. So you need some kind of a smartness to understand. So there are two angle again. I want to know what's wrong, then I should know how to fix it. So that's where the education comes also into picture. So I do see a kind of a very strong linkage. And for me, it's very clear that smart view and LED Safari has to go together. If you want to really, you know, push renewable faster in our society.
1: Yeah, indeed, education is really important, and I'm really looking forward to like to see how Smart Helio and you know, the Safari goes together in the future. And, <laughs> yep. Yeah, and um, I will dive into more about those hard questions and your personal experience right now. And yep. the first question is, what was a life changing moment for you, or maybe you have your baby. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. Okay, before baby itself, like I knew what I want to do. But one incident that always excited me was uh, when so we used to live in, let's say big cities in Delhi, and but our villages were in some other like it's 500 kilometers 1000 kilometers away. So it's a big country. So with my family, every summer holidays, we have to go to village. So we didn't go to beach, we didn't go to mountains, but we have to go to village because village is our village. But that village didn't have electricity so it was kind of a weird situation that you have electricity all the facilities of a kind of you know decent modern house in delhi and then you go to village you are living in a really village situation where there's no electricity and we used to go for summer vacation so if you are aware indian summers are really indian summers like it's hot but when you go to india you know what is really mean hot because it's just crazy hot so what if will be always sweating whole time in the house. And then my grandpa will say like, oh, you're sweating. Okay, go under the tree. It will cool you down. And it's really, it was amazing. We will just, we used to have a lot of big garden. Like it's a garden with a lot of trees. Let's say it's a big house, big, big land. And we will just sit under a mango tree um, and, and we'll just sleep under that. Like we just put a small mat and just sleep uh, on that. And that was amazing, I felt. But at the same time, I felt that, oh my God, there's so much of inequality happening that there's energy in, in Delhi. People can do so many things. But in the village, people wake up at five or six o'clock. That's okay, but they sleep by by seven. So you lost like seven to 12, 10 hours, you know, three, four hours of development because it's dark, completely dark, actually. There's no electricity. So that was the changing moment. I felt that, yeah, we should do something better because it's not the way the society can grow. But now the village has all electricity. Not only, it's not like I did anything to it. It's just the government programs happen.
1: Yeah, that's memorable. Do you miss the mango tree there?
0: I miss, I miss eating Indian mangoes. Like in Europe, you don't get good mangoes. And really that's one thing I feel like, oh my God, like I wish I was in India for that. <laughs>
1: Okay. Um, so the second question is, what do you love about what you do now?
0: I think like one, there is a fundamental thing is that you know that what you're doing going to do a little impact in the society, right? You can improve the clean energy. So that's really excites you. And you know that this is not something I want to do because it's just fun, because it's something it's needed. It's for the society. It's needed. We should do better. And that's where uh, our attitudes attitude is that It's not about, we can't change the world alone. We need more people. So we have a great team in place. Like everyone is super passionate about what they want to do. Uh, Plus also we also look for partnerships with other people who are doing similar thing. So I think this whole collaborative work uh, to do something important for the society really excites me. But at the end, you know that when you're sleeping at night you know that, okay, at least I'm working on something which have potential to change the world. You know, and it can help. Of course, now I have a little child, so I also feel happy that okay, at least he can tell that okay, my father did at least something. <laughs> he won't just say that yeah, I means so he was just you know earning money or you were just sitting in Switzerland enjoying ski and something.
1: Yeah, a lot of people sitting in Switzerland for skiing, and yeah. yeah, I really like I really love your education part you mentioned like previously. Because I think like sustainable education is what we need right now because more people need to understand what's going on, because recently a topic is really hot it's called ESG investing like environmental. um, Social and government investing, but a lot of people just know, oh, ESG investing is really contentious and brings a lot of tension, but they don't know what what's ESG. (laughs) Yeah,
0: just want to add on that Wendy very good point you have raised here there are a lot of industries who are still, they don't understand that why I should do it because these are the like, you know, old elephants sitting on top. They have seen only thing, what they have seen is is growth in a monetary way that I need to give money to the shareholders, this and this. And that's fine, nothing wrong in that. That's what their society was, you know, a couple of decades back. But now because of the Greta effect happening um, and, and, and the ground that people in the home are getting aware that, hey, I want to be more sustainable, like, I want to buy green products. I want to do that. So from the consumer side, it has started happening. So I think there will be a push from the society to the industry saying that if you don't change your the, the way you work, I'm sorry, I'm not going to buy your product. That will happen. And I think this has started happening. One example is uh, recently, I don't want to name the banks. Uh, in Swiss banks, uh, they release where they invest a lot. And then it came out that they're still heavily funding fossil fuels. Um, and there was a big demonstration in, in, in Switzerland, like, hey, that's not good. Uh, nah. and, and they have started thinking now, like suddenly they opened a department of uh, you know, clean energy and we have to do this. And we have to tell people that, OK, we are investing in this. I know in back end, they're still getting like, oh, my God, what's going on? But at least in front, they have started pushing. And I feel that it is society, our role, who are like individuals who have to push more and more. Like we should not go to those banks who are investing in fossil fuel. We should go to the banks who are green more, right? So I can take a decision myself at the individual level. I can buy some products which are green. I can stop buying products which are not green. And now it is not that difficult to find out about products. Like if you go to supermarkets, at least in Switzerland, it's very nicely written. that It's a fair trade, it's green. Other thing, not sure, buy if you want to buy, but okay, not sure about it so it's a choice what we could do better on that yeah
1: i think i know which bank it is <laughs> i heard about <laughs> it so you prefer more about the bottom up uh, approach um mm. instead of like top down cuz i heard there's some academia voices they were saying if the academic or the government did not push the society to do one thing, they will not start to do that and they will not realize the importance of that thing. But if you prefer more bottom up approach, like what you do think the top down, like from top to down like approach would have like some deficits or disadvantages.
0: I think like there has to be a balance between both top down and bottom up, uh, because we live in a society uh, where individuals are empowered enough to take decision, but at the same time, it's also herd mentality, you know? So sometimes you need to have little control, not a little control, like creating a kind of a boundaries that you should not cross in the society. Like for example, in US, what happened? Black life matters. It was just people were crossing boundaries on, you know, one person to another person. And that was not cool. Now, if you see bottom of approach, it means that, hey, I have rights to say that I don't like you and I can say bad thing about you it because it's my right. But does it does it mean that this is right by the society? Right. So I was just to give an example, which disturbed me a lot was in U.S. Uh, I was just we were getting a lot of these videos coming out from U.S. right that uh there's uh one one white woman shouting at some colored guy saying that hey you are this and that blah 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 right like that and i was like like is it cool is it can she can just shout in the middle of the street like that and i asked uh, here in switzerland like hey can i just go and stand in the middle of metro station and shout that okay i hate uh you know, colored people, okay, I'm also colored, but okay, let's say something else. I hate these kind of people or these people who are differently sexually oriented. I hate them and burn them or something. Am I am I right? Because it also gives me freedom of uh, speech, right? I should be able to speak. That's called bottom of approach. But there is also a natural law that, that I cannot just insult other people just like this. So that has come from top down, right? As an individual, I don't care. But so that's why I'm saying that it's a very slight, you know, differences between top down and bottom up, depending on the situations. Somehow I feel that bottom up approach is more powerful in pushing the things. That's it. But to make sure that the push in the right direction, you need to have a top up, top down approach also just to you know create the boundaries that people should not just go anywhere, wherever they uh, they would like to go.
1: Yeah, I hope I was there, able to right? answer
0: the question on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, that's my personal answer. That's my personal question. And thank you so much for answering that. I really gained some inspiration with that. Um, so I think the third question would be: um, What's a mistake you have made and made you better?
0: Um, I think uh, I made a. If I say that, what mistake I have made is uh, at the starting I didn't choose uh, right team players with me. Uh, so when I started my first company led Safari, I, I thought like I have done a great job because I had a selected number of people working with us because individually you can't do, so you need to have a collaborative. And that's, I think was very big mistake where um, uh, you have to you know, go with people who share your vision. You cannot go with the people who don't share your vision because in short term, it feels like everyone is sharing vision, but in long term, it will affect you a lot and it really hurts. Uh, so that was the one mistake I think I could have done better. But also I feel like, hey, I was just 23 that time when I wanted to start a company and I was young and I really wanted to just do solve a problem. You know, I was not thinking about business and anything. It was a learning experience.
1: Yeah, but I will say um, that's how you learn leadership because I know like leadership come from like practice.
0: And- like I think I think you, you learn from experience. I can also say that I think I used to be very aggressive aggressive in a sense that I want this, I want to do this, and I'm going to move fast. So I was really, my thought process was like 10, 15 steps ahead of my teammates also sometime. Not because like I was super smart, it just, I was so much into the system that, okay, I can see things. But that was wrong because, because it's like, you know, it's like a big vehicle. If one wheel goes fast and other wheels go slow, vehicle doesn't move anyway. It all has to go in a one optimum speed. So now I think with the experience and all, I have learned to become more patient, uh, more more listening, uh, more like you know, you know, let's do together something. What's going on? And you know, we have to go together. Like it's not like just one person is doing good, other person is not doing good. Everyone has to do good.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah, I think we can have another podcast. Like have the topic of how to manage talents in a startup. <laughs> <laughs> and the next question would be what would you be doing right now if you hadn't started your company
0: oh i'll be a teacher i think teacher in Does a I primary say... or secondary school yeah yeah i like uh, with little children's like how they're doing it yeah and that's my dream too i think i'll retire in a village with a school where i'm teaching children that's it that's what's gonna happen to me <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. so
1: last question what do you most look forward to about your future
0: What I look forward that, are we able to fundamentally disrupt the industry or not? And we would like to disrupt it with our technology, with our way of thinking. And we really hope that uh, we are able to create, you know, just little dent in the society where we can feel proud at the end that, hey, we did it, you know like smart hero, let's see it. And all the team members can say that, hey, you know, I, I I work for that company, you know, that my contribution is there also. Where it has changed something in a positive way in the society, it's mm-hmm. something that I look forward for, really.
1: So will you go back to India in the future someday or you're just um, long staying in here in Switzerland?
0: Uh, I don't think so. Like uh, maybe I'll have a base in Switzerland also and in India also, and maybe other country also. So it's not like, I don't see myself settled one place yet. They're still young and still want to explore more, uh, but definitely like India is one place which excites me because it's just my motherland and also a lot of things you can change there, right? So yeah, but I don't see myself uh, moving very fast to India, just hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I get that. So thank you so much, Govinda, um, for all of your candid words. Um, our lucky audience Jack today has uh, signed up in advance and provided two amazing questions after reading the featured writing on WeChat.
0: Hi, Jack. Good morning. Hi, I'm Jack from Guangdong Polytechnic School. As a business English major student, so I want to ask you two questions. First question is: In your opinion, what is the most urgent environmental? carbon need to be sold, and what should we do? Um, Yes, Uh, I think the first urgent need is empowering our citizens in the countries, like us, our mom and dad and grandparents and everyone to talk about this issue that climate change is a big, it's an issue, and we should take care of it because it has to come from our society up and industries will change because industries are driven by societies, most of the time. So I feel that urgent need will be, we need more Greta, really uh, amazing, amazing little girl uh, going around, but we need more Greta's like one Greta is, I don't think so will be enough for us to change big society. So I hope there's a Greta in India, Greta in China, in Japan, in, in in African countries, in Latin America, all America also, we're really driving the movement uh, in, in our societies. So Oh, thank you. Next question is, could you please list some ways to raising money quickly from the start of? Right. Uh, so what we did is uh, I can tell you now, okay, now it's a little bit easier for me because I have been through a couple of years now. So people know me and then we can talk to, but I remember like when I was a student, uh, the first thing uh, I raised money was ask my papa. <laughs> so ask father to give me some money to do some little project. That helped me to actually create a kind of an example to show that, look, I have done this work, it, it works well. And then I did crowdfunding. So crowdfunding was again, friends and family. So I just launched a crowd page. I remember in 2013 and we raised around $5,000. So, but $5,000 and that was enough for me to go to Africa train, you know, 100 children's and do this. And th- this was, you know, little by little steps happening. So I feel that at the beginning, we have to start that, okay, I have this problem i want to solve it how you don't have to solve everything what you need to solve is demonstrate that you are the person who can solve this issue for demonstration you need little money you don't need a lot of money depend on the problem you are solving of course but then you are able to you know show with little money which is your savings your parents or, or your friends and family and then once you have proven that then you can go for higher higher money that's one example other example is that apply for competitions. There are a lot of competitions around the world happening. They give you some prize money. These competitions are very good for two things. One is validating your idea that it's not, it's the idea is great or not, because they will not going to judge. They will not judge you only just because you have a great idea, but are you the person who will execute in a way what it's supposed to get executed? Okay, so you are the guy. So that's one thing the business plans competitions tells you. And the second, if you win, it's a free money you have money to, you know, do something. So these are the two things I will say at the very initial stage can help. One is just really with little money, crowdfunding and all can help you to do something. And second is apply for uh, business plan competitions. Okay, so thank you. Uh, okay, thank you, Jack. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for asking. Thank you, thank you so much. And uh,
1: I have a follow up question. So you mentioned when you, attend business competitions for those like this is plan showcase or whatever uh, it's more important about how you present your product or how the brilliant and ideas of your product
0: like which is i don't believe in that i don't believe in that because the business plan competitions people are not people are very smart the judges they are the generally the guys who know what they're looking into so you need a good combination. Of course you need to present well, like that has to be one because if you're not able to present people won't even understand what's what solution you're bringing, right? So the whole presentation skills come through the way you understand your own problem, the way you understand how you can solve it. It's simple, if you're confident that I exactly know how things should work, you'll be very good at telling people, right? If you're not confident, you'll always have some problem on that. So I feel that still presentation skill is required, but your idea is more important and the way you're going to execute and more confidence you have in yourself, you can present very well.
1: Yeah, I think the passion really matters because like in the last few years, like YGT global competitions, it's those people who have really have passions to change the world.
0: Yeah, I think that also the winning is not, of course, if you win, it's nice. It it feels good, like you you won. But I feel that once we go to the competition, winning should not be the only criteria. The criteria should be, am I able to, you know, create that, you know, wow effect among the judges? Like, oh, that was good project, you know? Yeah, maybe it doesn't fit the way we are judging, but it's a good project. I like it, I like the guy. This is already great. So uh, I feel the business competition is is your chance to you know present and share your vision to the world and take it in that way, then it's better. If you say that I'm gonna go and win it, it's too much pressure for entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, sure. So, okay, thank you so much for you today. Um, I'm sure our audience also feel the same way, but I really feel like and I got to know you more as a person. And thank you so much, um, that's a wrap guys. And um, thank you so much Govinda for joining us and shout out to anyone that helped this podcast. Um, do not forget to follow Young Green Tech, Smart Helio on LinkedIn and read those amazing feature stories. Uh, last but not least, thank you um, so much for tuning in. If you have enjoyed our conversation today with Govinda, founder and CEO at uh, LED Safari and Smart Helio, you are definitely going to love the episodes we have coming up next, where we talk to other amazing YGTs and ask them hard questions on your behalf. Please subscribe and stay tuned. And if you are interested in or if you have any questions you want to ask them, please subscribe YGT Podcast on Spotify and get in touch. I'm Wendy Shi and your host at YGT Podcast today. Thank you so much and stay safe.
0: Take care. Have a nice day.